So let's, having moved from breathing in, move on to the obvious consequence, and that is breathing out. Because, of course, if we want to be healthy, or indeed if we want to be alive, then we have to do both, breathe in and breathe out. So to help us think about the, this breathing out dynamic, I want us to move from Jerusalem, and we're going to go somewhere else in Acts. We're moving north, we're moving over to the coast, and we're moving up to the city of Antioch, and we're going to visit the new church that has been set up there, a church indeed that Harvey referred to yesterday. We're going to listen to, to two passages from Acts that tell us about it, uh, one from Acts 11, one from Acts 13. Lona's going to read in a minute. Um, the, the story of the church in, in, in Acts is sort of punctuated by, um, we go back to Jerusalem and, and, and hear about Peter and, uh, and James. Um, so we're going to miss out the, the, the Jerusalem episode in the middle and focus on uh, what, we, what we hear and what we learn about the church in Acts, uh, the church in Antioch from Acts 11 and Acts 13. And Lona is going to come and read to us. Where are you, Lona? There you are. Thank you. The first reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 19 to 26, and the church of Antioch. Now, those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the Church of Jerusalem, and they went Barnabas, Antioch, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And we, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul went with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. In the second reading, comes from Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 5. This is about Barnabas and Saul being sent off. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, 
and, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lona. Now, as I said, we're going to think about the, the, um, the outward dynamic, the breathing out of the church. But let's just reflect, first of all, that this church in Antioch certainly knows how to breathe in. Antioch was the third city of the Roman Empire after Roman Alexandria. It was the capital of the province of Syria, although happily for it today, it's not in Syria, the country, the modern state of Syria. It's just in a little kind of corner of, uh, of, of Turkey in the sort of the very little corner of the top, top, um, uh, top right-hand corner of the, uh, the Mediterranean. It's a few miles up the river Orontes from its port Seleucia. So this was a, a, a trading city. And in this city, because it was a trading city, you will find people from all kinds of cultural and uh, ethnic backgrounds, from as far away as India and China, and yes, certainly from Africa as well. And the Christians who came to the city, who, the, who themselves came from fairly cosmopolitan places. We're told they came from Cyprus and, and Cyrene uh, in North Africa. They shared the good news of Jesus, not just with their fellow Jews, but with Greeks as well, with non-Jews. These were kind of cosmopolitan-minded people for whom sharing the good news of Jesus with people who were unlike them just seemed to come uh, very naturally. And the people, of course, who were drawn in to this new Christian community were people who, in terms of Orthodox Judaism, were beyond the pale because they were simply non-Jews. They were Gentiles. They didn't, according to the terms of Orthodox Judaism, uh, belong. But astonishingly, they respond to the good news of Jesus in considerable numbers, so they find themselves no longer on the outside looking in, but incorporated within this amazing community which is taking shape in Antioch. They're drawn in, they are breathed in to this community. And this church was, as churches really should be, a reflection of the place and the people it came from, as diverse a place as Antioch itself. It was a community of Jews and Gentiles with cultural roots from all over the place. And again, as Harvey reminded, yesterday, reminded us yesterday, these were people of different ethnicities as well. When we hear about Simeon called Niger in uh, 13 verse 1, that means simply that he was black. That's what Niger means. He was, therefore, a black African. So this was a genuinely ethnically and culturally diverse church that grew up in the city. And it was quite unlike the very monocultural church in Jerusalem. But it was living proof that the good news of Jesus really is for everyone. A lot of breathing in has gone on, and a lot of people, very diverse people, have been drawn in to the body of Christ here in Antioch. 
And as I say, this church was quite unlike the church in Jerusalem because it was so diverse. Indeed, this church was a challenge to the church in Jerusalem. Was it actually an authentic church, or was it horribly corrupted and compromised by having all these Gentiles in it? Well, the Jerusalem church sends Barnabas to check it out. Barnabas is one of my all-time heroes. Luke calls him a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And because he's that, Barnabas knows the grace of God when he sees it, and he rejoices in what he finds, and he plays his part in building up the church with the result that even more people are added to it. Even more breathing in goes on. In fact, so much breathing in goes on that rather than bursting as the church might, instead the church breathes out, and they breathe out in a great whoosh, as in Acts 13, they release Paul and Barnabas, and to that list we can add John as well, for this work of mission. Now, this is not the first time that the church has engaged in mission in Acts, but this time it's different. Up to now, the good news has come to be spread through either circumstances such as persecution or through the direct intervention of the Lord. For instance, by sending Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. But now the church takes direct action in launching this mission movement and commissioning Paul and Barnabas for it. It's, it's really the first time that the church has deliberately breathed out. And no wonder, therefore, it's such a big whoosh. The church deliberately breathes out, but of course they only do so because the Lord tells them to. It's the Holy Spirit who tells the church to set these two men aside for mission, probably through one of the prophets that we hear about. And this church was clearly waiting expectantly on the Lord for him to act. They fast and they pray both before and after the Spirit speaks to them. But nonetheless, this church takes a much more active role in initiating the work of mission than has ever happened before. It's the first time really that the church has deliberately, um, rather than kind of accidentally, breathed out in mission. And this was a costly thing for them to do. Because what they're doing here is giving away some of their brightest and best talent. They could have reasoned themselves out of it, couldn't they, and questioned whether this was really what the Spirit meant. Send away Paul and Barnabas, who've been so instrumental in teaching and, and forming and building up this church? You sure that's right? You sure, really, that's what the Spirit says? Is it really sensible, prudent, cautious, wise to, to give away our key people just like this? It would have been really easy for them to rationalise their way uh, out of it. Maybe he just wants them to take a more senior role in the church than they, than they, than they have already. But they don't rationalise their way out of it. They obey. They breathe out. And they launch out in this amazing mission. And it was an amazing mission because it had amazing consequences. Because of their sacrifice and because of their commitment to mission, churches sprang up across the whole Roman world through the mission of Paul and Barnabas and John and Thomas and many others too. And often the churches they established launched out in mission themselves until eventually the good news of Jesus reached as far as northwest Europe and even across the sea to the cold, foggy island 
that the Romans called Britannia. Now, let me ask you this question. Were Paul and Barnabas still part of the church when they left Antioch and set out on mission? Had they left the church or were they still part of the church? Of course they were part of the church. They were no longer part of that particular local gathered community, but they had not left the church. They were certainly a part of and an expression of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Indeed, they were demonstrating the apostolic nature of the church because an apostle is simply someone who is sent. So in that sense, they were more and not less apostolic than the church that they had left. But the point I want to make is that they were still part of the church of God. They were a legitimate and essential expression of it. So what we have here is two expressions of the church of God. The gathered church in mission in Antioch that is breathed in in mission and the scattered or, or sent church in mission expressed in the little community of Barnabas, John, uh, Barnabas, Paul and John Mark as they are breathed out in mission. And these two things, these two expressions of church, the gathered and the scattered, really do belong together, just as breathing in and breathing out belong together. And we have to have an understanding of the church and mission. We have to have a mission ecclesiology that embraces both, because both are legitimate, complementary and necessary expressions of church. And not just in Acts, but actually throughout Christian history, we can see how essential the church in its more fluid form has been in scattered in movements of mission. We can see that in mission movements as varied as Celtic monks in the so-called Dark Ages who shared the gospel across much of Europe, or Catholic movements such as the Jesuits who played such a key role in the evangelism of parts of the world centuries before any Protestant missionaries uh, got there, or in the Moravians, or in, or in the Methodists. All through the centuries, the Lord has raised up such mission movements from within his church and used them to spread the good news of his kingdom. And what we see in Antioch sets the pattern for what's to follow, not just in Acts, but throughout Christian history. Indeed, there has never been a significant advance, advance in mission without the involvement of such groups. And you can certainly argue that Protestant churches after the Reformation failed to grasp the great significance of such mission movements, which is why whilst Catholic orders such as the Jesuits got on with the work of mission in the 17th and 18th centuries, it was the best part of 300 years before the Protestant churches got their acts together in global mission. And how did they do that? How did the Protestant churches get their act together in global mission? Well, surprise, surprise, they did it through the establishment of flexible mission movements, mission communities, such as the one we see in embryo going out from Antioch. A church mission society is, of course, one such mission movement, one such mission community. We are an expression of the breathing out of the Spirit of God, of the breathing out of the Church of God. We can do things the Church in its more settled form is sometimes incapable of doing and is often unwilling to do. That's why, for example, we invest in the training of pioneers in CMS, people with a heart for the margins, which is what in CMS at our best we've always been about. And we make that investment in pioneers because, if I'm honest, the Church in its more settled form isn't particularly good at doing it. It's hard for the church in in-breathing mode 
to train people for breathing out mission. Had the founders of CMS waited for the powers that be in the established church to get their act together and launch out in global mission, they'd have waited until the cows came home. But they couldn't wait, and they didn't wait. They got on with it, and they launched out in global mission with astonishing global consequences. Now, CMS hasn't always had an easier relationship with the church in its more settled form. When we were first established, William Wilberforce, being a man of, uh, of influence uh, and stature, uh, was sent to ask the Archbishop of Canterbury to give our fledgling mission movement his blessing. This was the Archbishop's reply. He could not with propriety express at once his full concurrence or approbation. <laughs> which is the longest, wind, most long-winded way I've ever come across of saying no. <laughs> Happily, I can assure you, we have a much better relationship with the present Archbishop, who likes us very much. Uh, and indeed, we were instrumental, of course, in his coming to faith, you know, because we took a risk with a young man who did not own Christian faith for himself and sent him off in mission to Africa. And that was, that was profoundly important in his coming to faith. Um, but the fact is, you know, that the rest of the church has always needed movements like CMS, just as movements like CMS uh, need the rest of the church. And this is a biblical pattern, just as we see in Acts. It's not just some kind of pragmatic, quick fix to get, get the work done. It's about the way the church of God expresses its nature as the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And movements, communities like CMS are a key way a vital way in which the church expresses its apostolic nature. But of course, this is not a competition. These two expressions of church are not rivals. Each is essential, and there needs to be a strong relationship between them. We cannot do what we do in CMS without the help and support and the partnership of the rest of the church, even as we want to be in partnership and of help and support to the rest of the church. And we're very grateful for that help. So please do encourage your local churches to go on supporting us and indeed to do so more and more. And nor am I saying that because we exist as an expression of the breathing out of the church in mission that that somehow lets local churches off, off the hook. I did hear one church saying, well, you know, perhaps if we pay you to do mission on our behalf, we don't need to do it. It's like that sort of carbon offsetting stuff, mission offsetting. <laughs> I think it quite works like that. But as part of the church of God, we're certainly able to do things that the church in its more settled form simply cannot do. And we need, the world needs, the, the creative interplay between these two authentic expressions of the church of God. And there needs to, so there needs to be a dynamic relationship between us, not putting to apart what God has brought together. Breathing in and breathing out belong together very naturally. They are essential for life. So we have this wonderful example of the church in Antioch breathing out in mission in a new and wholly authentic expression of what it means to be church. But we can take this further and we can discover something else which I think is really quite amazing and quite challenging here as well. Have you ever wondered why it was that according to Acts 11.26 it was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians? Why there? Why then? Why did they acquire that name there and then? Well, one of the reasons may be that the people in Antioch had a reputation for being quite 
uh, quite witty and they like giving people and groups of people nicknames. So maybe this is the local nickname that they gave them. But nonetheless, don't be fooled by that. Even that um, hides something of remarkable significance. I think the key to all of this is their astonishing diversity. They were an incredibly mixed group of people. So there was nothing else to call them other than Christians because the only thing they had in common was that they were followers of Jesus Christ. The only thing they had in common was that they were followers of Jesus Christ. And it was following Jesus which gave them their fundamental identity. These people, as we are, should be, above all, were first and foremost Christ people. Christians. It was Jesus alone they had in common, and it was Jesus alone who gave them their common identity. And that led to something else really important too. It's no coincidence that it was at this point, once they've discovered their fundamental identity in Christ, that the spread of the gospel really begins with this breathing out and the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas for mission. Maybe once the Christians of Antioch realized that following Jesus was the only thing they had in common, then they realized that the good news of Jesus really was for absolutely everybody. Let me repeat that because I think it's so important. Once they realized that following Jesus was the only thing they had in common, then they realized that the good news of Jesus really was for absolutely everyone, for people different from them as well as people like them. And that is why, at this point, they breathe out and they set out on mission. You know, the more I learn about the founders of CMS, the more convinced I am that it was absolutely no coincidence that they campaigned both for the abolition of slavery and for the spread of the gospel, with Africa, of course, as a significant focus for both. The more they realize that all human beings are equal, no matter how diverse they may be, the more they realize that the good news really is for everybody, that Jesus is for everybody, that Jesus is for the whole wide world. One of the most compelling images of the campaign for the abolition of slavery is the image that you see on the screen, the image of an enchained slave pleading, am I not a man and a brother? And of course the answer to that question was yes. And if the answer to that question is, yes, you are a man and a brother, then of course I must share the glorious gospel with you. I have no right to deny it to you. So it was a recognition of our common humanity, which cuts across everything that might divide us, that led the founders of CMS both to campaign to abolish slavery and led them outwards, led them to breathe out in global mission. Jesus really is the saviour of all people. So it really matters that all people should hear about him and know him. So where does all this leave us? I think there's a challenge to CMS and indeed to CMS Africa in all of this. And when I say a challenge to CMS, I mean it's a challenge to us as a community, not simply as an organisation. So I include all of us here in this room in that challenge. The challenge to CMS must be that we remain true to our pioneering spirit, our apostolic spirit, our sense of being breathed out. There's always a challenge to become institutionalized. And that is a challenge that we must resist. One of the key things I need to do in my role is to ensure that we negotiate carefully where we stand in relation to the ecclesiastical center and the missional edge. We can't afford to be out of touch with the center. 
But if we get too close to the center, then we lose our missional edge. You may not know this, but there were plans at one time to create a central missions department of the Church of England, and that would have subsumed bodies such as CMS and USPG and no doubt others into it. Max Warren, one of my many intimidatingly illustrious predecessors, firmly resisted that. And I think he was absolutely right to do so because we are far better servants of the church by not being part of its central structures. Even more, we're far better servants of the world by not being part of the central structures uh, of the church. But if I'm honest with you, I do wish at times that the wider church realized just how much it needs its mission movements. You may know that the Church of England has launched a major program called Renewal and Reform, and that's great. And the church commissioners are committed to funding it, and that's great. But they've decided only to fund bids from dioceses. We can't apply. Now, that's frustrating because we could certainly contribute to that program very positively. But it's also short-sighted because actually dioceses don't have a very good track record or necessarily the expertise in reshaping themselves for renewal, for reform and for mission. They don't have a particularly good track record in breathing out. But we do. Well, that is a little frustrating, but we nonetheless need to be faithful to our calling and not deflected from it, because it really isn't all about money. But let me at this point highlight one way in which we have been faithful and courageous in following our pioneering calling, our calling to breathe out emission. And I take no credit for this because it was set in motion before my time with, with CMS, but it is, I believe, hugely significant. The establishment of CMS Africa under Dennis's inspirational leadership is wholly in keeping with CMS pioneering instincts. The establishment of CMS Africa is a great example of breathing out, of giving away, of making sacrifice in mission. And the results are extraordinary, as we were hearing uh, the other day. The fact is that hundreds and thousands of lives in Africa have been touched and transformed by the ministry of CMS uh, Africa. Lives that would never have been touched if we had stayed in our old way of working. And actually what we've done too in launching this indigenous African mission movement is to play our part with the, uh, in helping with the breathing out of the church in Africa. The breathing out in mission of the church in Africa will be and indeed already is hugely significant in global mission. One of the things that has pleased me so much in recent years was Dennis' trip to, to Pakistan and indeed to Winchester to launch the work of the Samaritan Strategy Yesterday, as I said yesterday as well, um, sorry, recently, as I said yesterday, Harvey's work in Missio Africanus is also hugely significant here. The releasing of the gifts in mission, the breathing out of the, 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 uh, of the church, the African church in the Western context in mission. That is hugely important, massively significant for global mission. CMS has been for so long a sending agency. It's what we do very well. But now we need to see ourselves as having a key role in receiving as well to help the church in Africa breathe out in mission. And as I said yesterday, it was Dennis who first put me onto this. One of the very first things he said to me was, when is, going to, when is CMS going to start receiving the gifts of the global church? And as I said, it was only a few months later that he actually gave me the clues to how we could uh, actually get on and do that. But for me, that was the missing piece. And it was shortly after that that we met Harvey and began to see how crucial he would be in, in, in the relationship, in helping with the breathing out in mission of the church in Africa, which will be one of the 
perhaps the major mission phenomenon of this century. Now, of course, there are challenges in working out what this exactly looks like. We're working with London Diocese on it. We value uh, your prayers for the shape that that venture is uh, going to take. London Diocese have, in their Capital 2020 vision, have a vision for 100 new worshipping communities by the year 2020, and they want at least 10% of them to be non-English-speaking expressions of church. And they, they're working with us, we're working with them, to see how we can uh, make that happen. It's hugely exciting that we've got a cohort of African leaders who've joined our MA programme uh, just this uh, la last term. And working out with them what African mission in the West, mission that takes Western culture seriously and takes African passion seriously, working out what authentic African mission in the Western context looks like will be very significant and very exciting. Let's go back to Jerusalem and a little earlier. On the first evening of that day, the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. My brothers and sisters, the Lord has breathed on us too. As he breathed his life-giving spirit into Adam, so he's breathed his life-giving spirit into us too. He's done that individually, but he's done that collectively as well. CMS is a creation of the Spirit of God. I have no hesitation in saying that. Indeed, I wouldn't have any interest in leading it if it wasn't. He has breathed on us so that we can be an expression of the breathing out of his Spirit upon the world that he loves. As the Father sent him, so he sends us. So he breathes upon us that we may be sent. So let's continue in the power of his Spirit to rejoice in being sent in being breathed out in mission, that his kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven, to the glory of his holy name. Amen. 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 Again, just going to pause for a moment, and then I'm going to ask, invite Dennis and Harvey just to come up and share any reflections from their perspective. Brothers, join me. Share your wisdom. Well, not all of it. As I said yesterday, we haven't got time for that. Share a grain or two. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Dennis. I think one of the things that um, challenges me from uh, today's passage is how um, three people go out, you know, um, and it's half a big difference. And it's not in the numbers, it's not in the crowd, it's not in the big budgets that we actually bring transformation, but it's three people set aside by the Holy Spirit mm. as people waited upon God, and God said, go. So in obedience to Christ, 
um, uh, went out. And I think what, what um, um, Philip um, talked about, I think of the, by God's grace, just taking two of us to Pakistan and starting a whole movement. And so when God wants to breathe out, it's not a democratic, democratic <laughs> en engagement where the majority go out, but it's the few that God sets aside to go. And many of you were that few. Mm. Mm. You went out mm. and you began something. It wasn't uh, the most popular thing with the church at that time. And one of the things I always say to my staff in um, Kenya or in Africa is that mission is disruptive. We don't need permission. So we go in obedience to God. We don't ask for permission. We go in obedience to God, and then God brings the permission afterwards when the church realizes what is happening. <laughs> so it's not in the numbers. It's not in how many we are. By saying, what is God saying? And are we obedient to him? And maybe the big thing for my, for me, my takeaway is what is God telling us now? So being part of the popular culture is doing what God is leading the church to do now. And just three people going out, uh, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark as their servant uh, going along with them. So for us in CMS Africa, we're not a big, we're not a big organization. We don't have thousands of people you know, on our staff. But my prayer is that the few people who we do have and we will be working with will make that difference as we respond to the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Bobby. Thank you, Dennis. I, I do use Acts 11, 19 to 26 a lot when I talk to my African friends. And it, it, it usually happens in the context of them beginning to realize that so far they have been effective in reaching other Africans in the West. So uh, sort of trying to begin to help them think that it's not just them reaching out to other Africans, mm. as in uh, those Jewish Christians who preach the gospel to other Jews, but begin to think, this is bigger than just reaching out to people who look like us. <laughs> and, and of course, once we begin to talk about that, you begin to see their eyes open and begin to realize that actually, yes, this call that we have, this presence that we have here is not just for the African church. And that's the breathing out of the African church, not just for other Africans in Europe, but for Europeans. God breathing out through the African Christians in Europe to reach out to Europe. Now, one other thing that comes out in those conversations is simply the fact that cultural diversity is a gift from God that's too precious for us to waste. And we see that in, 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 in Acts 13 in, in Antioch, and we see that probably throughout church history. When God brings together people from different backgrounds to worship and experience life together, there is something that he is doing. And generally something good comes out of that. And we see that happening now in our Christian communities. We see that happening now in our cities. And really probably God is up to something. Cultural diversity is too precious a gift for us to waste. Thank you. Thank you.